Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Robin from the GEG South Florida. We are here tonight to bring you an awesome session with Tanya. Uh, she's going to talk about all things amazing and a little bit more on that coming up. Uh, joined here with Jody and Stephanie, two of our captains, and Dr. Eric Jorgensen, who is my co-leader. So we're going to hand it over to two fantastic people. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Long time no see, right? Uh, unfortunately, way too long no see. I'm uh, I'm missing you, Eric. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is a. It's been a long time since we've been able to get together in person. We we've done a lot of these video chats, but the the in person is definitely what's what's missing, but uh, we're definitely excited to have you here today. Um, you virtual hugs. Virtual hug. <laughs> <laughs> you a virtual hug. And all of those of you who are here today, I would love for you, if you are joining us live, to please feel free to go ahead and uh, tell us where you're joining us from. Uh, I know that uh, this is the GEG for South Florida. So we, uh, I actually live in South Florida. Um, I don't know if people realize that I live and, um, I, I'm, I'm in Palm Beach County, so this is my home. This is my community. So I'd love to hear where you're joining from and what school you you teach at, if you'd love to share. Um, Eric, thank you for having me. Oh, not a problem. And yeah, it, I mean, even though we're we're GEG South Florida, this definitely is also part of GEG Global. Like we just had uh, Chris Bradley uh, sending warm and muggy hugs from Oklahoma. <laughs> Oh my gosh, how cool is that? Oh wow, that's great. So we have people from all over, which is so good to know. Um, I, I'll tell you a little bit about me, if those of you who are watching who don't know me. My name is Tanya Averitt, and I am actually the co-author of the Google Infuse Classroom. And I, um, I, uh, I'm an innovator since um, 2012. I became an innovator in New York. I was in Jenny Magira's cohort. So I know I've known Jenny for a very long time. She's fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I, I now work at Adobe as the education evangelist. And I love that title. I don't know how I feel about that title, to be honest. I <laughs> I, I see myself more as an, uh, an innovator or uh, really my focus is around teaching and learning. Um, and I spend a lot of time doing professional development with schools and districts, looking at how we can use technology as a tool for learning. And a lot of the the emphasis that I, I work on at Adobe is looking at how we can empower teachers and students to become better storytellers or to empower their voices to be better storytellers. So, um, I mean, that's what Adobe is really great at. Our tools are really creative and they provide a creative outlet for students' work to to really brilliantly shine. Um, but today I'm going to be sharing a little bit about uh, ways that you can think about planning your instruction in, in the next few months um, so that you're integrating technology in a more meaningful way. And I know that this is a super stressful, stressful time. Uh, Eric, wouldn't you say it's kind of a crazy stressful time right now? Uh, just just a tad bit. And I was, I was thinking like, when when you were working with Holly on this book, did you ever think that, I mean, distance learning was going to be more the norm than not? So Holly and I have been working as a, uh, as a uh, in a partnership as a, I mean, she's like my sister, really, uh, for the last eight years. We met in 2012. Um, we met actually at the very first iPad summit that was hosted by EdTech Teacher back in 2012 which seems like years ago. And it's funny, her and I actually were on a call yesterday and we were talking about how a lot of the things that we were talking about in 2012 are things that we're still talking about today. <laughs> but yeah. back then they were like, you know, super groundbreaking and we're still talking about them. And I think for many people who are realizing that like we can no longer resist this type of teaching that now those people that for a long time were like, nah, like I'm good and not in a judgy way. No, like seriously, not in a judgy way. Just, just didn't have to do it. 
And I right. think now that the stuff that we were like, it's coming, it's coming. Like you're going to have to teach this way is now like people now are seeing it eight years later. And so we, a lot of the things that we have been talking about and we wrote, we wrote the Google infused classroom um, like 2016 was when we were writing it. So, mm -hmm. you know, th and this was stuff that we were doing for years. So, um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the book and, and, and I'm not here to sell books. Honestly, I'm really not. I'm actually here to talk about the learnings in the book. So, um, so, I mean, this is us. If you want to reach out to us, that's how you can connect with us. Um, I'm on Twitter at Tanya Avrith. Um, that's my email right there, avrith at adobe.com. And we have and we have a great Facebook group. So if you're on Facebook, check out the Infused Classroom Facebook group. So it's it's great. And we do a ton of live streams in there and we share resources and it's a very lively growing group. Um, and Holly also has this really great newsletter that she sends out every two weeks with um, amazing tips. So if you go to infuse.link forward slash tips, you can uh, sign up. And that's just on Holly's uh, blog. It's really good. Um, but we wrote this book because we realized that there was definitely a shift in the way that our students were learning. Um, and I think that, you know, we see this more and more. And now it's like, it's, there's just no other way of looking at our kids, but our Gen Z learners are very different from the kids that we uh, taught even five years ago. I, I, I was just saying this story before we aired with Robin. Um, I was teaching full-time. I was teaching full-time, uh, not this last year, but the year before. And um, before that, I had worked as an instructional coach and a consultant at a district. And then I independently consulted for a while. Um, so I hadn't had my own classroom um, for a few years. So I went back full-time. And as I had written the Google Infused Classroom, I had been doing all this work in schools and I thought like, oh my God, I'm going to go back to the school and I'm going to rock this because like, I know exactly what I need to do. I know all this technology. I'm good. But what I didn't account for was how different my kids were going to be. And they really genuinely were not the same even five years prior. I know Eric, you're, you're also right. Like you have been at the district and you're going to be going back as well. Right. Yeah, I, I I was a classroom teacher for many years, and I went to the district for the educational technology department. Now I'm excited to be going back into yes. the classroom, and uh, they were kind of like, and you'll be able to show us a lot of the stuff that you know that you're doing there, so you can get our teachers on board with this. I'm like, well, yeah, that's I, not part of necessarily the exact job description, but I'm glad to do it. <laughs> But, but you're going to have, like, that's the thing is like, you go back and you do have this skill set. But what I didn't, I don't think what I was ready for was like, just like how different things were, were. So for example, like, um, one of the things that like our Gen Z learners are like, what's really important to note is like their attention for information is much shorter. Like they really, because these are kids that have been born into a world of smartphones and tablets and computers. And, mm -hmm. and I, I think, and I hate to say this, but like, I really think like even after, you know, being off um, and being so virtual for the last, you know, summer. And then before that, for a few months, like our kids, I, I know a lot of our students are spending tons of time on video games. Like I'm guilty of that as a parent because there's just so much that we can do. And so like, they're going to be coming back even more like wired, I think than ever. So the way that we approach teaching and learning has to shift because you can't continue teaching in an environment where they're sitting and getting, and you are the knower of all information and they are the receiver and that you're just going to tell them and they're going to regurgitate that information that that was not cool a decade ago that wasn't cool 20 years ago that was never good teaching to start but now more than ever we have to really think about strategies that we can chunk information chunk learning um, and provide opportunities for students to you know to to make their thinking visible and so 
one of the things that was is really a big part of the the infused classroom kind of mindset from uh, Holly and I is this this whole idea of effective technology integration. And what we look at is when technology is being used effectively, essentially you'll see these three things happen, right? One is that they help students make their thinking visible. And this is so important now, like more than it ever has been, because Eric, I don't know about you, but like, if you ask a kid a multiple choice uh, question and they're home, is that going to be an accurate representation of their learning? No. And I think, you know, uh, you and I talked a little bit about this earlier. I think what this really brings out is especially whether it's an accurate reflection of their learning or they're too smart for their own good and they can Google the answer. So you don't even know that they've even learned it. You know that they know how to search for something. Yeah. But then the actual synthesis of the information, like you said, is the making it visible, is the creation of the product. Absolutely. And it, it, it kind of goes, to me, it's almost the the old, I had a teacher that really wanted us to take notes on everything. Because she said, if you put it down on paper, you're going to remember it better. And I think it's the, the same thing nowadays, that if they create it into a project and if they make something out of it, even if they're not meaning to remember it, they're going to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's, that and 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 if they're using technology in that sense if they're making something and then you're getting them to press record and talk through their thinking mm -hmm. and you're able to have them share their understanding and articulate their learning then you're getting a sense if they understood it or not and so that's the whole shift and that's what's so crazy about like what's happening now is that now is the first time in history that we cannot rely on a lot of the evaluations that we had given in the past to really give us accurate understanding of where learners are. So we have to really rethink the way that we approach teaching and learning. And, you know, if we're just handing out and lecturing for 60 minutes virtually, that's not going to be an effective way. I mean, that was, that's like not, I mean, do you want to be in a staff meeting for 60 minutes and the principal talks at you? I mean, it's like, like we I all know. Say no. No, of course not. Like that's like nobody wants that. No, like even what I'm doing right now is such terrible instruction, right? And, and in a classroom, we have to account for that. And so, you know, I I'm gonna show you some strategies in just a moment of ways that I kind of chunk things. And I think I'm hoping that those strategies will be helpful for you as you you're thinking about planning. The other thing that's really powerful and important to note when technology is used effectively is that it provides every student with an opportunity to be heard in your class. And obviously now in a remote environment, you have to be able to provide like uh, checks to see where students are. And that's where the technology really comes in handy because you can't just have the same few ch students like, you know, answer questions, even in face to face, like very often it's the first three kids that are like, older, English is their first language, they're they're more confident, What for whatever reason, they are the ones that often are raising their hand. It's not because they're smarter, it's just that they are in a position where they can answer quick. And so the technology is that great equalizer in your class. And also it provides agency and choice because not every learner needs to express their understanding in the exact same way or nor can they always express themselves in the exact same way. So there's an equitable opportunity to be heard in the class as well. And and finally, I think this is really important is it allows students to share their voice. And I think that like uh, sorry, to share their work, to, well, to share their voice, but to share their work. And I think that this is so key when, when we're having kids share their work and I don't just mean share their work to you in Google classroom. I mean, it provides every learner with an opportunity to share their work with each other, with, uh, an audience, an authentic audience with, um, with their peers, it teaches them valuable lessons of how to um, provide constructive feedback and receive feedback and then iterate. And so this is like life. And this is my life. No, like I don't learn that way, but I also work in a, in a corporation, a company, and these skills are super crucial even now for me. So well, and I love what I love one of the comments going on with student voice. One of the comments, it's actually from uh, our Stephanie Hunt. That's one of our, that's one of our captains, but 
you see it there, you know, it's totally the making thinking visible, totally necessary because it allows the students to take ownership. And I think that's one thing that has always been missing from education is the, the student ownership of their work. A hundred percent. They are going to have to take that ownership and, and, and they're, they're, they're going to have to you, like, it's not even, it's, it's, she's so spot on. It's so necessary. It's actually, you cannot teach kids in a remote environment with without them doing this because you will never actually really understand if they understood the concepts or not like and so holly has this great blog post and it's press record google it like holly clark press record and she talks about the power of pressing record so we really need to get kids to press record on everything that they're working through. And I'm going to walk you through how that workflow will look like when you're designing instruction um, in a remote environment using um, HyperDocs. And so the pedagogy that I always frame everything around, and this is the framework for the book, is we use understanding by design. And this is not new. I mean, this has been around forever. It's, you know, UBD, it's, it has is is a framework that uh, people all over the world use when they're thinking about backwards planning, and and it's a simple thing, right? You're thinking about the end in mind, and then you're planning backwards, and in the process, you're taking into account formative assessments, thinking about you know checking for understanding throughout the way. You're planning intentionally. You're thinking about how you're going to differentiate your instruction, and 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 as you're learning about your students as as human beings with experiences that they're coming in, you're taking those unique unique experiences and, and uh, perspectives and abilities and planning with intention. And then through that, as they're, as they're learning, you're providing opportunities for students to demonstrate their learning, right? To make their thinking visible, to show what they know. And this is super important. This is like the, the glue that often gets cut or like the, the, the piece that gets cut, but it's the glue that keeps it all together, right? Because very often we are so dependent on tests and they are not necessarily accurate regardless of what students really understand. So this provides ownership for kids to show what they know and to also show it in a meaning, meaningful way, hopefully. And then we're teaching them how to curate and reflect. And by curate, I mean pulling pieces of their work to demonstrate growth over time and to be reflective practitioners so that they are not just getting information from you and being told this is good, this is not good, but they are thinking about their thinking. They're activated in uh, metacognition and they're thinking about their thinking and they're thinking about their learning and they're able to make those choices and, and have time to process. And very often this stuff gets cut out of instruction. And so this is an example of like that. It's, I know there's a lot of words on here right now, but this is an example of a traditional lesson plan. Um, this is created, cr used uh, for a, a lesson that I, I, I do. Um, I think I've used this exact template. Yes, I mean, student objectives, student assessment and evidence, but this is for you. This is like, and let's be real, like nobody is planning this every night. Okay. Like nobody, like this was one that I made for a job interview. <laughs> like, but I do plan backwards. Don't get me wrong, but this is like heavy duty detailed. The way that I often will plan looks more like this. And so this is an example of a hyperdoc. This is one that I use. Um, it's actually adapted from one that my friend uh, Lisa Heifel, who's actually one of the co-founders of the hyperdocs like movement, hyperdocs.co, that she had given to me and that I adapted because I was teaching a class called personal branding and digital communication. And one of the things that I want my students to do is think about who they are and what they're what they're passionate about. And so the activity that I have them do is I have them create a manifesto. And this is such a great activity to do in a high school English class, in a journalism class, in a communications class. I mean, honestly, even in a social studies class, you could have kids create a manifesto about a historical um, figure. I mean, there's just so much opportunity through this example, but in this case, I was really focused on the manifesto itself, but I, 
I, I, so I have the learning objective. It's clear. So over the next few classes, you will explore what you desire and create your own digital manifesto. This assignment will be evaluated is worth 50 points. So that would, so what I, 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 I have opportunities for checks the way I'm going to show you. And I, I over here, I have like, a, you don't see it, but I have a single point rubric and it's aligned to the ISTE standards. So there's certain criteria that I'm teaching. That's very explicit that the students know. And so here you say, like, I can analyze and synthesize. So I have all the things that I'm looking for, that that's essentially what they're being evaluated on. But I go ahead and I teach them. And so I start with the engage and I have them watch a video. Oops. So in the video, I have them, um, the video is, it, it, it has closed captioning on because it's on YouTube. And I always add closed captioning when I'm playing any video so the kids can also watch it if they need in the language of their choice with translation. But so they watch the video, but we don't say anything. And I'm going to just go back to that in a second. But they don't say anything. What they do is I then have the transcript of the video. And this was a video by Alan Watts, and it's so good. He's such an amazing philosopher. If you Google any of his stuff, it's incredible. And what I did is I then take the I took the text and I forced a copy in the HyperDoc. So if you don't know how to do that, so it's just using a Google Doc. And at the end of it, what you do is you change the top from you hack. It's a hack. And this is the best hack you will ever make, people. Okay, this is such a great hack because what it does is automatically forces the students to make a copy of the doc that's linked in the doc. So I'm not having them go into a thousand places. Everything that I'm doing in a hyper doc is packaged in one place. And let me explain to you something. A hyper doc is not a bunch of links in a document. That's a multimedia tech set. That's something completely different. A hyper doc is an experience. It's taking into account... Um, formative assessments and how you're differentiating instruction and students, how they're going to demonstrate their learning. It's how you are purposefully and meaningfully planning your instruction, where you're providing opportunities for students to make their thinking visible, to hear from every learner and for them to share their work. It's extremely intentional. So it's like, I think sometimes people think, oh, I have a hyper doc. Like I put a bunch of docs and no, it's an experience. And, and I want to kind of show you this one because it makes sense when you kind of pull it together. So right off the bat, they engage there. I, I haven't said anything yet. And I want, I want to kind of check for understanding. So I do this closed reading activity where they force a copy of the, um, the, the document. And then I had them go in on their own and highlight the parts with in Google docs and in their, you know, make sense of the text. And then what I had them do is I had them pull out their favorite part, their, the part that resonated the most. And then I have them use a Padlet where they then go in and on this, like, you know, a Padlet is like a cork board. Unfortunately, Padlet is not free. Um, you can use other things instead of a Padlet. Like if you wanted to, I think you can use Wakelet. It's not like the best. You can use a shared slide deck where every student, you know, every student can kind of like go in there. There's, um, there like, there's, you know, I, I, I just love this cause they can all kind of see the work. You can use a jam board with sticky notes. If you, uh, if you want to, that's probably a good uh, way to do it as well. So I have them then go in and they add like their favorite part and they explain why. And then from there, we have a class discussion. So I've kind of flipped it so that I'm not just like, watch the video. Let's talk about it. I've given them time to process. And that's just one class. So then the next class, and I'm just stop for a second. Are there any questions? One one of the questions that I that actually uh, I've seen go around is, are you going to be sharing your slide deck? Yes, I will. <laughs> yes, I will. I will give you the links to the slide deck so you can have access to all my resources. And it's good that you asked that because I'm going to just go forward for a second because I actually am sharing. Um, this is the resources from Lisa Highfill and uh, Kelly Hilton and Sarah Landis. And go onto their website, hyperdocs.co, and their Facebook group's also very good. Um, and they have these templates with examples, exemplars as well. And I think the HyperDocs one, because I got it from Lisa, is in there as well. Okay. 
So let me just continue. So, you know, obviously I've made it my own, um, but you, as you should, you know, you, you learn who your learners are, you customize. So then the next part is explore. And so if I'm teaching a subject, this, it's, this, I mean, engage the five E lesson plan. It's like, this is kind of old school stuff, but I've, we've taken that experience and now we're designing it in a digital way where you have opportunities for kids to really explore the content. This is really great because now the kids can go in and they explore all these videos, they think about it, they, 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 they process it. So in this case, I'm just having them explore what uh, different examples of manifestos. Okay. So uh, one of the ways that I am able to differentiate some of that instruction is I use YouTube a lot. Like I even put all of my videos on YouTube and um, it's so crucial because what I also teach my students to do, I taught in a school that had a very large population of English language learners. And I wanted to make sure that all of my learners could understand and comprehend what they were seeing. And if I was flipping any of my instruction, which I do a lot. So like I will do videos and I got this from Jenny Magira, um, where she would talk about creating uh, Dora the Explorer explainer videos, meaning like you explain to the students like Dora the Explorer does inside of the Dora show. And it's like, okay, everybody, <laughs> you know, grab your pencil press pause. Like that's how I make my videos. Now, uh, get, you know, open up the tab, like, and the videos are short, like two minute explainer videos. Don't like do your whole lecture in your whole class and think that they're going to watch the whole thing. You have to chunk it small videos with tasks, small video task, small video task. That's how I chunk all the stuff. But honestly, you do it once. It sounds like it's a lot. It saves you so much time instead of explaining the same thing 50 times because you know you're going to have to explain it 50 times. Just do one video. It's going to be done. And then I put it onto YouTube. And then I teach the kids how to go in to closed caption uh, where it says to the uh, to the little, um, what is that called? The... Um, the gear. You press the gear. And then when you go in, there's the ability to change the the closed captioning to any language. So if you have uh, students who are Spanish speaking or French, or honestly, like they speak Mandarin, like you can go in and I think there's like 52, I don't even know. There's a lot of languages in there and you can have them understand what you're trying to say in the language that they need. You just have to show them how to do it, but they do. Then there's two ways that I have students then share their response. One, I know that in Palm Beach County, if you're watching locally, um, Seesaw is, is not an approved tool. Um, I love Seesaw. I loved it. I taught with it all the time. I use This is what I mean about an infused classroom. Like you use a variety of tools depending on what your task is. Um, so one of the things that I want students to do is to have a place to reflect and to share their thinking. And so a seesaw was one example because they can have their, their all, you know, written, their written reflections. Um, you can use, you know, um, a slide deck, a shared slide deck where they can put in and share a response. This is a really great way of getting kids um, to share responses, especially in a remote environment. So every student has their um, like space that they can learn. They can also collaborate on slides together. So I love rethinking Google Slides in a creative way to get them to use it as a place to show what they know. Because honestly, guys, you don't want to have kids turning in a bunch of docs in a classroom. First of all, no one wants to look through all those docs. No one has time for that. You want to do it live and check understanding as it's happening. That's one. And two, the, I don't like classroom turn-in because what does it matter that you only see it? The kids should be able to see each other, talk to each other, learn from each other. This is so important for them. So I love this because they can all see each other's work. So then the next thing that I have students do, and this is an example of Seesaw. So I was using this with high school. I think a lot of people think Seesaw is just for elementary. It's not. I use it with high school kids. They would put all of their responses. I could give feedback. They can put videos. It's amazing for remote learning, for journal, like for their kind of journal 
process portfolio stuff. It's incredible. Then I have students go in, they would read their, like they would explain. So this is where they're learning what it means, what the elements of a manifesto are. This is just one example, but this is where they're learning about the concept. This is where they're, they're, they're learning about it and they have to synthesize and explain. So in this case, they use something called an answer garden, which basically is like a little word wall. It makes you synthesize into like 40 characters. So they have to take the biggest like understandings and synthesize. And then as the students were putting it in, the words that were popping up were the ones that really stuck. So like you would really get us like comprehend what you had read. Now, once they know about what a manifesto is. They've learned about them. They've seen examples. Now it's time for them to apply their learning. Now they're going to transfer learning. This is where the real learning is happening is when they're applying their knowledge and they're transferring it and they're now putting it in, hopefully forget like just here, but like hopefully they're going to apply it somewhere else down the line. That's real transfer of knowledge, right? But in this case, they're going to apply their learning and they're going to create and they're going to create um, their manifesto. And so in this case, I have my students using Adobe Post. And I used a Padlet. But like I said, if you don't have access to Padlet, they can turn in on a shared slide deck. They can turn in in a Wakelet collection. I really recommend that it's not just turned in on Classroom again. You want the kids to be able to see each other's work. My kids would all turn it in all uh, had six groups. This is all their work. And they would turn it in on a one in one place so that they could see each other's work. And it was amazing what would happen because it was like the third period phenomenon. By the third period, I had kids saying to me, Miss Averett, can I take it down? And it was because they were inspired by other students' work. Not because they're copying. They're all very different, right? But it was because they became inspired and they didn't realize that there were things that they could do that they didn't know they could do. And now it was visible and they were they wanted to have good work, not just not just good. Sorry. They wanted their work to be great, not just good, because when they're creating just for you, it'll be good enough. But when they have to actually post it and share it, they want their work to be amazing. And so that's what starts to happen. And I see it a lot in the way that I develop my instruction. So this is kind of like how I would go from introducing my topic, chunking it out. I hope this gives you some insight in terms of what I mean when I'm talking about like blended learning strategies, how the tools merge together. Um, were there any questions, Eric? I haven't seen any in the chat, but I, I think what you know definitely is an important takeaway is this even goes beyond the distance learning. This is like you're using this when you had kids face-to-face -face in the classroom. So while it lends itself to distant learning, I, I think that this is definitely a invaluable tool to have even once we return face-to-face. -face. Oh my gosh. I could not ever go back to teaching any other way. That's the truth. I, 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 I couldn't because now it, you know, uh, my friend Rebecca here, she talks a lot about, um, she talks a lot about push versus pull. So I think in the past, the way we would approach instruction, it was a lot of push. We push a lot of information. We're pushing a lot of knowledge. We're pushing on the students. What this now, what we want to be doing, and, and I think what COVID has really like shifted us to do is to really rethink the push versus pull. And now what we need to be doing is pulling from students. We want to see what they know. We want to pull from them their understanding to start. We want to be able to, so we're more, we're designers, we're artists. And that's the thing about education. And that's the thing about teaching, teaching. When they say teaching is an art, we are artists. We are creatives. We are designing experiences for our learners. And that's what's so exciting about teaching is that as an artist, I want to be able to inspire my students to, to be able to, to pull from them what they know and push them to be better versions that they thought they could be. It sounds so cheesy, but like, that's, that's why we go into teaching, you know? Mm -hmm. And so these methods are really what we're asking. Like this is these methods and strategies are really there to help students 
um, realize their, their potential without giving them everything and pushing everything to them and asking them to regurgitate what, what we think they need to know. So that takes me to, um, demonstrations of learning. And, and I couldn't talk about demonstrations of learning without introducing Adobe spark. And I wanted to share some examples of some of the demonstrations because the, you, you saw the manifesto. That was a, a really great demonstration. But keep in mind, I give a ton of formative assessments throughout the process. Like to get my students work to look like this was not just like, okay, kids, go and create now. No, like I don't care about the, the grade. What I would say to my students is like when they're demonstrating their learning, that's when all the learning is happening is through the process of creation. And so what I'd have students do, what you don't see here is there were tons of check-ins for feedback. So my students, when they have to turn something in, they have to defend their learning. They can't just turn in a product. They have to tell me and show me their processes and iterations. And so very often what I have them do, like if this was a writing class and it was English class, I would have my students go into a Google Doc and I would have them use Screencastify and I would have them go through their revisions and talk about their learning and growth over time. And, and, you know, and turn that in. you can use Flipgrid now to do screencasts. So you could even do that. You can have them do that and, and have them app smash and Flipgrid and have them use the screencast and use their Google doc and go through the revision and explain. And, and they, and so that's where the learning is happening when they're taking feedback, applying it and growing. And so that's where the curation comes in because I want kids to defend their growth. And so over time, if they can articulate what their goals are and what their learnings are and what, you know, uh, what their, you know, I hate to say standard, it has like a bad connotation, but like, you know, what their objective or like, and it could be personal. It could be something that's, that's, that's something that, that has been agreed upon as a group, as a class, whatever that is, when they're explaining their thinking and they're showing that growth, then you know that there is a level of mastery. And I don't like saying this lightly because we're never masters, but at at least there, the, the growth of that understanding is there and you can see it. And that's the difference between like a standardized test with four choices and real meaningful demonstration. Because when kids have to be able to show their understanding, show their growth, make their thinking visible, you really do get much richer understanding of what they're doing. And there's so much more agency and, 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 and like care about their work. So this stuff, the way that they have to turn it in my class is like, I say, because everyone's going to see it. I'm like, well, and they, by the way, in my class, because it was very progressive, obviously my students had to tweet their work too. So not only did they share it with me and like, I know I get a lot of pushback when I say that, um, and this is not for everyone. Cause not every family would want this. Not every child would want this. I get that. I get that. But in this class, that's what it was. Okay. So that's what it was. But they, I would say to them, if you, you know, if you are going to like, if you have to be so proud of your work that you want to share it with others, not just with me. And so that really changes the game because let me tell you something, their TikToks are awesome. Okay. Their TikToks are amazing. If you look at their work outside of your classroom, if they know that others are going to see it, they're going to want to do better work. And that was a big part of, of my class was that sharing piece. And so this is where, um, I love Adobe spark. So there's three things in spark, um, that, that are possible, right? There's graphics, videos, and pages. And I'm just going to show a few examples. So with, uh, posts and by the way, if you, um, if you're not familiar with spark, you can, um, well, at least definitely in Palm beach County, you have access to it. It's free. Um, I think Eric, it's on your, like, um, in your portal, right. Where you access all your apps. You can look it up. You can look it up in the portal or if they go to uh, spark.adobe.com and then under the login, they use the Google login and login using their district credentials. They have full access to it. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So 
And if you don't, you probably do and you don't even know it, which is so sad. It makes my job so hard. So um, if you go, um, there's, and I'll show you in just a second, but when you go into spark.adobe.com, you go to log in and what will show up is like on the left-hand side is like log in with Google, blah, blah, blah. And then there's on the right, it says uh, teacher or student, try it out. You might actually have access and you didn't even know. If you don't, um, if you're a Google user, there's something coming in a few weeks. I can't say what, but there's something good coming uh, that will be very helpful. I'll just leave it at that. Follow me on Twitter and you'll hear all kinds of great announcements. But um, there's Adobe Spark a post, which is the graphics piece. It's web-based. You can use it on a Chromebook and you can create beautiful visuals. I know Eric loves to create visuals. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm a little addicted to to Spark Post. I I use it on. I mean, I use it on my Chromebook, my phone, my my iPad. It has become an essential tool for me. Actually, I I made the promo for for this in Adobe Spark. He's really good. His stuff is so creative. So he's got a great eye for design. I have to give you that. That's that's really good. He does really good stuff. But yeah, so you can go in and create really stunning visuals. Um. And in seconds, Eric, wouldn't you say it's like so simple? Oh yeah, it, yeah. I mean, I, I I'm an I'm an Adobe guy, so I've done Photoshop and InDesign, and I would much rather make something in Post, and it it is so simple, and it saves me so much time of having to do the layout myself. I mean, yeah. that that that's the fact of it. If I if I can find a layout that I can even just tweak, it's so much easier than me creating something from scratch. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's a great place to start. Like there's mm -hmm. definitely a lot of uh, creative constraints, which is what makes it so beautiful too, because mm -hmm. you are limited within the confounds of the tool, but they force you to create beautiful work. Now, if you want to have more flexibility and more independence, you would move on to some of our higher tools. But that's the nice thing about posts is that it's not it's not simple in its design. It's simple in its use. And I think there's a, that's a good distinction to make, but one of the, right, right. Like, but one of the things that I think is really powerful is what you can do with it. So like I pair, I don't know if you're familiar with Harvard project zero. Um, those of you watching or, or, or even you, Eric, but I pair a lot of my, uh, work with, um, visible thinking routines. So like, uh, some examples of that are like, um, I'm sure you've heard this one, Eric, like, um, I used to think now I think, yeah. Yeah. Like see, think wonder, like those are yep. some of the ones that are like really well known. So like, they're just routines in your class strategies. They're really like great formative assessment strategies, but check out their website. They have, everything is on there. It's amazing. And so I'll pair a lot of those routines, like, cause I like to do paired texts with visuals, um, you know, to, to, to give more context to having kids like to, to have deeper knowledge or understanding. Um, I've done like thank you notes around historical figures, like, um, you know, to like for, for comprehension book quotes to, to, again, like to check for comprehension, um, six word summaries, those yeah. are fantastic. Just a quick summaries of what you've read. Um, and these are super visual. You pair them with visual and then they'll turn them in like a dude. They could turn it in on a, on a, you know, a wakelet. They can turn it in. Like if you have Padlet, they can turn it in again on uh, seesaw, you know, like I'd like them to see each other's work. That's why I'm a big believer of not just turning it in somewhere. It's not seen. So that's post. And then, um, I have my students using spark video, like all the time. And I have this little gifty just to show how simple it is to create a spark video. So you can add photos, you find free photos. They're free to use and share. So, and they're beautiful. They all come from unsplash and pixabay. Um, and what's great about, you can add up to 30 seconds on each slide. You press that little red button and that lets you record your voice. So this is press record. Um, and what's great about them is a few things. One, if you're using Chromebooks, it lets you create video on a Chromebook and edit video together. There's 
actually like that's Copen FERPA compliant, that's free. I think this is probably right now the only tool that you can do that like in this way. So there's that and it adds music and it, it publishes it with a link. Um, it's so, so nice. It's such a great way for kids to kind of pull their learning together. Um, and you can app smash with it as well. And, and, and in just a minute, I'm going to show you a really fun like idea that I had before coming on of some ways that you can start kind of like really taking creativity to the next level. And by app smash, I mean, pulling together multiple apps from different tools and combining them together to create a more complex creation. That's kind of like what App Smashing does, entire level understanding of digital fluency. And so you really are building great problem solving skills when you're doing that. So here's an example that I love. And I highly recommend if you're thinking of a, a back to school activity. I will keep my laptop safe at all times. This is an example of a, a fourth grade students who created, um, at the very beginning of the year, I always have kids creating their uh, acceptable use guidelines. And basically it's no the norms and procedures for my class. Obviously this year more than ever, you're gonna have to have kids talking about digital citizenship, about acceptable use. And so instead of me just handing out the paper that says here are the rules, which nobody owns, like when you do it that way, I have guiding questions that I ask the students and then I have them create this video to talk about what they will pledge for the school year. So it's really positive. It's not meant to be negative. It's in a positive language and they own it. And they create this pledge video that they share and they, they laugh about it and it's fun, but it's such a great back to school activity. And so I use Spark Video to do that. Um, I actually, this was a fourth grade class that I taught. So this, I mean, it'll obviously be a little different. You know, you, I had guiding questions that they would answer, um, not answer, but like guiding questions, like what are the things that you will be doing? What are the, 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 you know, what are, what do you, what are, what are things that are acceptable to, that we will, you know, approach? And like, there's a lot of like scaffolding and, and conversation that I'm having before we get to that point. I actually have a hyperdoc that did this, that I'll find and dig up before we leave. So I can share it with you guys. That actually was the hyperdoc for how I had them create these videos. But you know, you, you get them to think about all these things and then they demonstrate their learning and they make this video. And then finally, I have students creating these really beautiful pages. And these are great in different ways. One is um, it definitely takes like writing to the next level. So if you are having kids write like five paragraph essays, that's, you know, they have to learn how to write, but they like the reality is like writing is just one skill. And in 2020, if you don't have any understanding of how to tell that story visually, how to add graphics, how to add an image, how to pull in um, like more media, no one's reading your writing. Like nobody's just reading your writing anymore. If you post a blog, unless you know how to create a graphic and add visuals and add video into your blog, nobody's reading your blog. Like that is the truth. Like, and the people, and you know it, like you don't just read any blog. You read the blogs that are going to capture your attention. So the same thing with the way that we are designing and writing for purpose and intention. And this is so powerful because teaching kids how to add media, how to add visual, how to break down the, what they're writing with um, uh, you know, visual components is so crucial to skills of the future. You can't just teach a boring Google doc and have them turn it in. Like they take their Google doc, write it in their Google doc, and then demonstrate their learning, pull the final piece together in a, in a, in a page where they're adding more contextualized understanding of their writing visuals. That is meaningful demonstration. So those skills are really key too. And these tools provide them with an opportunity to really have their work shine. So well, this could be a great tie-in. We actually had somebody uh, comment. Uh, they're saying that, you know, they teach language and literature and national testing demands lack the authenticity sometimes in assessment. So then how would you, you know, and the person right above them was saying that they need to have, you know, submit regular writing essays. So how, how would you blend that into something like this? Because I, I know where they're coming from, they, especially, you know, with the, the ACE and the AP exams and they need to know certain writing styles. 
Um, so you can't completely get away from that, but how can this blend into well, that? I mean, they're still writing. Mm -hmm. This is just how they're showing their learning. This is the final demonstration. This is part of their portfolio. This is like the exemplar of their work. This is the final part. Like okay. this is where they're showcasing their learning. Um, and that's just one example, by the way. I have students using this for process portfolios. I have students who uh, I've had, I know some teachers that had their students. Um, oh, I wish I had this example on hand right now. But basically what she had them doing was through remote learning. She would have them take pictures um, of the work that they were working on and then pull it into a page and then add reflections so that there was evidence of their learning. Like in like a, like a class, like a science class where they're doing labs or an in, like a, a music class where like maybe you would want to have them show what they're doing like and pull it together to demonstrate that growth over time. This is a great example of, of ways to do that. But back to what you're saying, Eric, like I think it's really important to note that um, yes, of course, you know, you have to do the test and that's what you're evaluated on. And that's what the students are evaluated on. And there's no question that that is part of our current reality. Um, but that doesn't mean that they can't demonstrate it in, in ways that are meaningful either. It doesn't mean that those skills, those other skills, these skills are not equally, if not more important. I know that the test is what we're evaluated on, but the reality is like they're going to leave school and like the taking their test is important because it's going to get them out but these are the real skills that they're going to need to like get jobs and get hired and like function in like 2020 and beyond well and, and this is gonna this is gonna build with that too you know even even sure. looking at the looking looking at the standard five paragraph essay that they may need to write this allows them to express the visualization that they had of you know what was the thought that they were having behind it give us visual examples I mean, I'm looking at this and I've taught ACE Media Studies and this is a great way for them to put together their, their portfolio that they have to for ACE Media Studies. And that whole thing is the is the whole the whole premise behind ACE Media Studies, the portfolio is showing the building of how they got to the final movie or, uh, or double page spread that they created. And it's showing the building process. And this is a great way for them to be able to put that together. 100%. All of these, like all of... I don't think that there is any pedagogy or any like, like any, any good, strong, like understanding of um, like teaching and learning requires that students demonstrate their learning and show and, and are able to articulate and show their growth. Um, I mean, if you're part of an IB program, this is like everything like the being able to show that, that growth and be able to, 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 to demonstrate it. Like that's, everything. Oh yeah. Here's a, a few more examples. This was for, uh, this is actually an AP history class. So just to kind of take it a little further, like this was a project that uh, my friend did in her AP US uh, history class. And it was, um, I don't know if you can see on the left, it's going a little bit fast, but um, they did the, um, what was it uh, here? Let's see. It's going to go it back. looks like they had their analysis in there. Yeah, exactly. The industrial times. And so the causes of the industrial revolution, there you go. Um, it's really cute. And they made like mm. a magazine, the positive and negative effects. Like, sorry, I went so fast. Celebrity gossip and the, we need help problem. Okay. So you can see like there's guiding questions in there mm -hmm. that are relating to historical phenomena and they're just demonstrated in a more visual way. And this is a great example also. This is uh, Savannah Weiss, who's a student of mine. And her grandfather was in the, um, what, their family hid Jews during the Holocaust in their basement. And so he was sharing his life story. So when we talk about like, like a five paragraph essay, like during the Holocaust, family, you see like, and he, she's showing that experience it's so much more rich when you add those elements in there. And then at the end, she has an interview with her, with the grandfather. Like, that's incredible, you know, like to be able to take that story to that next level. So I'm not going to get into this right now because I don't want to get sad, but <laughs> um, I am going to share this project, this whole, um, um, this whole uh, entire right now, actually, I'm going to just in case, cause I don't want to forget 
I'm going to put it in the chat so that people can have it. Usually I create a nice fun bit.ly and I'll make it pretty, but I didn't right now. So I'll just do it this way uh, because I just want to make sure that we have it. But I, um, here we go. Let me paste it. I'm posting it in. There we go. So um, I wanted to just show really quickly an idea I had, but I don't think I'm going to have too much time to do that. So I think uh, instead what I want to do is see if there was any questions and kind of um, close up that way. Let's see, trying to pull up any questions. Have a lot of compliments. Aw, thank you. I will do a little shameless plug because I just started a new, well, I didn't start. I took over um, the facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash sparks for spark for um, Adobe Spark. It's Adobe Spark. I'm going to say this wrong. I know it. Educators. There we go. So I just took over the uh, Facebook group. The um, I just applied to that the other day. Awesome. Did I let you in? I should have you, let you in. You did. Okay, good, good. <laughs> So, I mean, I'm growing it at about a hundred people, like about 50 people a day, which is awesome because it, like a week ago it was 1.7. So, which is cool because right now what we're doing on it is we have, um, er, so uh, this is Dom. He's, uh, my colleague that works in the UK. And so we are going to be doing live streams about two to three times a week on different topics. They're short. They're like 15 minutes. I'm going to be doing, um, lesson plan. Uh, Sundays. So you can come on a Sunday and I'm have office hours where I'm going to be showing lesson ideas for the week and kind of going through how to get started. And that's going to be on Sundays. I'm going to be announcing all of it in the group. Look at that. People are joining. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Yay! You guys are the best. Um, and we also have a live stream that that I do every Wednesday with Adobe for education, which is with the Adobe creative educators. And then we do on Thursday, we do spark Thursdays with, um, where we highlight creative educators and, and it's great. It's a really vibrant group and we're really putting a lot of life into it, sharing a ton. Um, and we also have, and I'm going to do another little shameless plug, the, um, Adobe creative educators, which is actually a, um, course and i'm going to put the link in there so it's bit.ly forward slash adobe creative educator so i know all i of need you to turn guys, in my final project for that by the way <laughs> you gotta turn it in so i know that you guys a lot of you are actually adobe creative educators because we did a special one uh for palm beach county before it was a pre-launch but we actually just came out two weeks ago with the adobe creative educator community program and it's a fantastic program um and there's level one right now available it's a one hour course on creative thinking um, and assessment. It's not even tool focused. It really is a lot of the stuff I'm talking about. And you take this one hour self-paced course and at the end you submit an artifact. It's just a graphic, really awesome. You can use any, you know, Spark, uh, Post, whatever. And you take this class and then you join and you get access to our classroom resources. We have these amazing resources. Um, there are these cards that, that you, you get, we're going to be sending those out to them. We get swag. Everyone wants one of these. I am a creative educator shirts. Uh, you're part of a very global community. We have people literally from all over the world. It's insane. So it's a really cool community because you really are in this Facebook group with people from all over the world that are so creative. Um, I will be hosting live events eventually when things go back to normal all over the country. So, um, yeah, definitely check it out. Join our community. Uh, yeah, these are those digital process cards. You get access to this digital poster. Um, and we have a PD toolkit. So all of these things are available, um, when you join. So thank you so much, by the way, for having me. I'm going to just, um, not share my screen anymore. You're, you're welcome. Quick question. Uh, somebody had, uh, what are you in the group? Are you going to have more ideas like for, for second grade and focus on elementary? Like what, what, what are the grade levels? And I know the answer to this, but let's let you talk to it. So in the Facebook group, you mean, uh, that's what I, that's what I'm getting. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there are, okay. So I just closed this, but there are resources. Thank you. Okay. So there are resources. Um, can we turn off my screen? There we go. Yeah. So in the group, there are resources. Um, there, okay. So there's edX and in edX, edX is kind of our educational exchange. We have like so many resources on there. If you just Google edX, you'll see it. Um, but we are launching in a couple weeks, 350 lessons that we partnered with this company called better lesson. And we hired 35 master teachers from all over the world. These teachers are incredible, literally like amazing educators to work with us and better lesson to develop like insane curricula and that's coming up. And so I'm going to actually in the group, I'm going to be interviewing master teachers and highlighting student, like uh, their work and then highlighting examples of work. So uh, it's going to be very active. That's actually where I'm spending a lot of my time now. So I plan on making it a super vibrant community and also like share, like if you want more of this or more of that, I will share it and I'll be sharing. I have a lot of stuff already. Obviously I'm not sharing it all here that I will be posting in there as well. So join the community. I would be so excited to have you there. The spark for education group, you just join the Adobe creative educator. One is one that you would take the course, um, and get access to. Now but is there a cost for the course? It's totally free. So, um, and we will have a level two one, which will be uh, a little more entailed, um, where you're more of like a trainer. Um, and that's going to be available in a few months. Um, and it's going to focus on instructional design and um, awesome. like teaching for creativity. Yeah, it's really good. So, uh, yeah. So thank you all so much uh, for having me here. And um I'm so, I am so honored to be here. And oh my God, I just saw all the comments. I'm sorry for not saying anything earlier. Uh, yes, free is awesome. Uh, and thank all of you. Like seriously, thank all of you for, for coming tonight. This is incredible. I know how stressed you all are. And so I so appreciate you spending the evening with, with Eric and I. Absolutely. And I mean, we've had people, you, you, you were talking about people in the comments I mean, from around the world, we had we had people from Australia even that were that were joining in on this. So we're we're very lucky to be part of such a, a large group and a and a large community. If the uh, if Robin backstage wants to bring on the other people from our from our local GEG here in South Florida. So Robin, I see there's a Robin saying it says after no, it's not, not so there that's okay. It's free for educators and it is also always free. There's upgrades that people pay for, but the baseline, even if you're just using your basic Gmail is always free on Spark. I just want to clarify that. Um, it says after two nine months, because they're giving a promotion where the upgraded versions, you get access oh. to them, but not for educators. Educators get all of the upgraded version for free if it's set up through their domain. So it has to be set up through your domain. If it's not, it's something that your school can set up. Um, but yeah. This Perfect. was awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. On Is that this me? I'm, I don't even know what yes. I did. You're talking. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was, I'm so sorry. I was watching on YouTube and I had that going. So that way I was commenting at the right time and I uh, muted this tab. So I wasn't confused. And then I couldn't figure yeah. out how to unmute the tab. I, I, I have sorry done that. that. And I caught myself watching myself doing, I was lost in a time loop. It was, and now I know how Marty McFly felt some, at some points. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just want to say to people, check out the, also the Infused Classroom uh, Facebook group. Yeah. Um, so I'm very busy on live streams. It's really sad. I have no life except for this lately. And so we do live streams there. I do live streams on the Facebook. Uh, but Tanya, it's got to be easier than like flying all over the place and sleeping in a hotel. At least you get to do yeah. your live streams from home. Yes, absolutely. I am. I am not complaining. I'm blessed and I have a job and it's not a complaint. It's just, it's just, I miss human beings. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I, miss, I miss people. Yeah. <laughs> I think by nature, that's how educators are. You know, we, we tend to connect with the human side of, of things. So, but we really, really appreciate you spending part of your evening with us. Um, it was awesome as usual. And I, I gained so much from 
watching this, even though it's hard to be backstage and doing both. And sometimes I'd get caught up in what you were saying, kind of similar to what Jody was saying. Oh, 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 crap. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. So it, it's just always so good to have you. And yeah, I mean, the big really anytime you guys want me back anytime, just let me know. And it's my pleasure. I can do all kinds of different seminar sessions. And I would be so happy to to share any any information that um, I can. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the, and the one comment we I, I always see time after time with Tanya is just that your energy and your enthusiasm is just infectious. Oh, thank you so much. That's really sweet. Thank you. Oh, that's really funny. Lisa says, I want to bottle your energy. That's very <laughs> <laughs> I'm really passionate about teaching and learning, okay? I can't help it. We love it. We love that, it. That's not a bad thing. Yes, it is. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Thank you again, Tanya. And we'll be back soon with some more thank stuff. Thank all of you. Thank you for having me. Bye, everyone. <laughs>